Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No. Oh, no. Sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. <laughs> Sibling rivalry. That's good. Ollie, this was so much fun. Oh my god. I actually have known John for a bit. He actually helped me write a write a speech once. Smart man. Um, he was Obama's speechwriter for many years and then went on to found Crooked Media and his brother Andy, who is an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had them on. I've known Andy. Andy actually, uh, I test screen tested with Andy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for a show. <laughs> it's crazy. They're literally like the world's most well-behaved children. <laughs> I know. We couldn't get anything out of them. Like, no. what did you do bad? Like, well, maybe I misspelled a word. Yeah, they're like <laughs> once. <laughs> they were really close growing up. John felt really protective of Andy. They've never even had a big fight. But what's interesting is, is you would think like a a a, a podcast where like they everything was like great and so nice would be boring. Mm-mm. But in fact, it they they're really fascinating Fasc- guys, yeah. and they're they're the way they grew up and the and this sort of entry into politics. And Andy's for, such a cool guy. Yeah, he's such a really cool, laid back guy. And then of course you got John, who was in the trenches. I mean, he was in the White House. Yeah, but Andy, you Andy studied. You know, no, he went to cri- uh, he, criminal, criminal justice. justice, right? And then he went to grad right, school, right. and then he's like, "Hey, fuck like, this! Oh. I'm going to be an actor." <laughs> I know, <laughs> but so they're you know they. 
They're like the smarty men. They're like the handsome, smart guys. Yeah, they're very handsome boys. Um, but it was really wonderful, and um, I just loved having them on, and really insightful. And you're gonna like it. Just yeah. listen. Please enjoy John and Andy Pepper. Hi guys. Dogs and babies. How's it going? Hey Kate. I missed everything. Oh, we might as well just uh, turn it off. We figured it all out. Someone's on a staycation <laughs> yeah. and someone's working. It kind of sounds like me and Ollie, have to say. <laughs> no, I mean, it's true. <laughs> Andy and I are very it's, similar. I'm feeling a similar type of dynamic. <laughs> I know John, we've met. We have met. But I we've don't think Andy, I... we've met. Have we met? Uh, Kate, you you won't remember. I mean, we met so long. We met like ten years ago <laughs> Andy's when like, I first we actually came. Uh, we made out love. once. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, had, like, we had a small oh. thing. You don't remember. <laughs> it was just a couple dates, but no. Uh, we, uh, ten years ago, when I first moved to LA, I somehow wound up at your house for a game night through Kivas. uh michael kivas yeah, yeah. As, uh, like everyone's everyone's connected through kivas i know that's how we met because i i helped you write a speech for an event that you were speaking at with your mom that's you right were, like introducing your mom that's right and i back and you, when i used to do speeches for hire that's Did, right and oh, i was so she, like she paid you no i didn't I don't even i can't i can't yeah I no i just remember. i just i just was like i just put my hands together and was yeah like, i think i just yeah. help well, but andy tested for the show that's where we met. Yeah, that's the last time we saw we each other. We saw each two, other. Like two years ago, right? Yeah, it's a good thing you didn't get it and fucking didn't make it to air. <laughs> it didn't go. Well, there's a reason for everything. That's right. You, it was, this, was, this was the issue. Look, it you know what? Probably would have been different. That's how I like to look at things. That's my mentality. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as I didn't get it, I knew it wasn't going. Yeah, you're like, oh, fuck it. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's not happening. Um, For those who don't know the Fabos, I'm going to sort of just chime in here about you guys. Um, John, uh, you have been a speechwriter for a long time. Mm-hmm. You uh, were President Obama's speechwriter. You met him as a senator, correct? Yes, I met him his first week in the Senate. Um, well, that's when I interviewed with him for a job in the Senate office. I met him during the 2004 convention when he gave that the speech that everyone remembers from the Boston convention. Who wrote that speech? He did. He wrote that speech on his own. He did. And when he won and became he's, a senator, that's when probably his staff probably contractually obligated to say that. <laughs> no, because I, I, didn't, I didn't work for him then. Right. He had no speechwriter. And then when he won the Senate race... Um, and became a senator, his staff convinced him to hire a speechwriter. And he's like, I write all my own speeches. I don't need a speechwriter. And they're like, you're going to be very busy. You're not going to be able to write them all yourself. H- hire someone. So that's how I got to got to know him in 2005. That's pretty intimidating, though, I guess, when you have someone who is so eloquent, who writes so eloquently, and who actually orates so eloquently, mm-hmm. to then write something for that guy. And, and, and then he'd be like, what the? John, what is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's intimidating, but it was also helpful. Like, I feel like I had a leg up because I was writing for a writer and someone who had, like, written two books. So I knew how he thought, how he wrote. And he was also 
very kind and generous and patient with me. So he actually, eight years working for him, he never yelled at me once, which wow. was amazing. Wow. And how, but did he ever throw away your speeches? Being like, oh, all the time. But he, he would do, it, it would be in a very nice way yeah. he would do that. He would just say, uh, you know, I have some other thoughts. And then he would have like <laughs> 10 written pages of his own <laughs> that he would give me and say, turn into the speech. I sometimes would think that like great, any great orator, any person who can actually be good enough to speak it is actually usually good at writing in their own voice as well. I would think that those two things might go well together. That is that is correct, though. I think he he started as a writer more than he did a speaker, and he didn't really learn to be a great orator until around that 2004 convention when he sort of broke onto the national stage. And before that, if you talk to his staff, like he wasn't a great speaker running around Illinois uh, campaigning, but he was a fantastic writer for his whole life. Mm. John, before we get into your guys' childhood and stuff, what are you doing now? Now I run a company, a media company called Crooked Media. I host a podcast here called Pod Save America. We yeah. know that one. Everyone knows. With our friends. The whole world uh, So we do that. We have a we have a nice little company. We're right here in Hollywood, and uh, we got like twenty podcasts now. Uh, politics, pop culture, sports, all kinds of different things. Okay, Andy, let's talk about you. So you uh, followed in our footsteps. Uh, you are an actor. Yes. Um, and are you currently working on anything right now? Or are you in the audition? Yeah, I was able to um, get some decent work over the pandemic, which was nice. I did. Uh, I'm going to be on the last season of Grace and Frankie. Mm, oh, fun. A few episodes there. I did a, uh, a couple episodes of 911. One Lone Star, and I have a big movie coming out, big Michael Bay film that I did uh, called Ambulance. That's going to be pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah, cool. That's exciting. Yeah, it's great. How was the Bay yeah. movie? That was great. This, this, that was like an interesting thing where, like, I was up for that movie uh, back in you know just like January, February, and. Um, you know, I was I was sort of in the back of my mind that this might happen. And then all of a sudden, like uh, months went by and it didn't. And then I saw like that the movie had wrapped on his Instagram. And I was like, what's going on here? I, I was talking to my manager, what's going on? And they're like, I don't know, I don't know. And then six months later, I got a call and they're like, do you remember that movie you auditioned for back in the winter? Well, you did get the part. Uh, they're shooting all of your scenes at Michael Bay's house, and it's going to be one day. Uh, it, it's back on, so get ready, and you're, you're shooting on Monday. So wait a minute, it That's, was like this. you shot all of your scenes in like one day at Michael Bay's house. Yes, <laughs> yes, That's awesome. That's it was, this was after this was after like totally just putting it out of my mind for six months, thinking that it never happened. Isn't so. it funny how that works? You know it's what I mean? Crazy. Like so you you forget about something, and then and shit comes around, like. You know, as, yeah, as, as an actor, we're always sitting by the phone unless you're Kate and it just happens immediately for That's you. That's not true. Quiet. So, <laughs> you know, but... That stuff, that stuff has never happened to me either. And this was the first time that something like that happened. Right, we're like, like, oh, wow. Wow, this, this really does happen sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. This is nice. <laughs> no, good. It's like that little, like, Christmas morning vibe. Like, I, oh, think yes. like, I think every actor's just masochistic. It's the most tumultuous like mm -hmm. roller coaster ride of a career yeah. 
you know, you're constantly being criticized in the audition process. You get success uh-huh. constantly being criticized in success. Yeah. It's just you're yeah. just critical criticized. I hate criticized, watching <laughs> myself like they I'm doing I just finished this show in Albuquerque but, for fun. But Fox. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. But but they they were screening episodes at lunch and I'm like Absolutely not. I am not going to watch <laughs> that. I don't mind that. The thing that kills me with acting is like, you know, when I first started, it was like, you know, if I can just get this guest star, everything's going to be great. And then you get the guest star and you're like, okay, well, now I, I just need the recurring and things will be great. And then you get the recurring and you're like, well, I, re- I, need, the, I need the series regular yeah. or I'll have a failure. And then you get the series regular. It's never, it's never going to be enough. Then you're like, I really need to be Tom Cruise. I, I don't know. Yeah. Right. I don't know <laughs> this, if I'll be happy if I'm not. Right. But That's then, then yeah, this whole move to LA was a disaster. If I'm not the number one actor in this <laughs> in this town. Yeah, but even but even Tom Cruise is then thinking, I need to stay Tom Cruise. Uh, it's I know. always it, it, ne- it never something. ends. Something. But the the you know the sooner you you the sooner you realize how insane that is, like the quicker it becomes it's you know it becomes easier for you to just t- take the failures and, and the rejection and stuff let's start from the beginning guys where are you from we are from north reading massachusetts which is like a suburb 20 minutes north of boston go hornets okay go so hornets. you're you're a massachusetts um ollie's wife is yeah is, my, uh, whole, my whole all my in-laws all my other family is over there and then now they're in the cape her parents are in the cape so we're in the cape every single year Nice. Every, every summer, yeah, love. It's so it's so idyllic. Every time Ollie like it. FaceTimes me from the Cape, it's like he's like, "Hey, I'm just riding bikes, East Coast style on mm-hmm. the ocean." You so know? it's important. <laughs> it's important for my wife, for the kids, for our kids to have that childhood, that experience that she had. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we make sure of that. We don't we don't have an excuse to go back there anymore because our parents. Um, after Andy moved out here first to LA, then I moved out here, and they followed us both out here. <laughs> now they live in yeah. they live in Thousand Oaks, oh and my the whole God. family's out we here. So we don't we, so um, what we don't was, go back to Massachusetts as much. What was childhood like? What was growing up like? The overall vibe. Andy, go for it. <laughs> give us, the, uh, give we, us we, we, take we, us down <laughs> take us down your street. Like what is that? What is? I was this? just gonna oh, say God. We, we got we got really lucky growing up because we grew up on this street called Tower Hill Road, where there were so many kids that were our age or, you know, a year older, year younger, that we were very, very close with, um, who were all like, you know, our best friends. So our street was, and and all of our parents were friends. uh, So we were able to like, you know, just walk out of our front door, walk up and down the street and and pop into each other's yards Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, hang out all the time. It was fantastic. Um, we're like we're like your typical small town New England. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, that was exactly, exactly right. like my wife. Same thing. I'm like, you I, know, I long for that experience. Oh, I'm all we're all fucked up, and I got all this fucked up shit, and my dad bailed. Eh. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've been to like the Hoffman Institute trying to figure out my shit, and, and my wife. It's like like you guys. I'm not saying you had this perfect life, but she definitely did. Parents still together. Grew up in this little small town. Rode her bike to school. Everyone knew everyone. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we, it was only like 20,000 people in the town. We graduated with like 100 people in our class. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It knew everyone. Super tight knit community. Still, like our, our parents are still friends with the people so in that neighborhood. Yeah, to yeah. This best, day. Like best friends. Was yeah. it a religious community? Mm, I, we went to church. We were Catholic, but I wouldn't say we were super religious. 
Yeah. But it was more um, of a Catholic, like a Catholic kind of community. Pro- Protestant Catholic, yeah. Yeah. Very white, middle class. Yeah. 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 Was it the thing like when someone got divorced, it was like, holy shit, like Miss Elma's divorced from Miss <laughs> <laughs> Elma. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that I was- actually I actually can't think of any of my friends' parents that were divorced. I was just gonna <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> sound so sheltered, but that I thought the same thing. Yeah, there's no there's if there was any kind of minor scandal in the town, oh, though, everyone would have talked huge. about it. Huge. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, was there That's, ever a time when, like, one of the kids, like, smoked weed and everyone knew about it? Yeah. I mean, well, there were, like, there were parties. There were, like, big parties when parents went away. That was, like, the big thing in high yeah, school. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were all still cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm immediately, I'm immediately like, like picturing you not being cool, which is. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but white and middle class for some reason is just it doesn't. Back, maybe, maybe we weren't back in the back in the '90s. It was a little calmer. I think. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, yeah. And did so, you guys have a lot of freedom? Was it like a very creative home, an artistic home, or was there was there discipline? Were there rules? You know. It's it's interesting. I would say that we we had a lot of encouragement. Like our parents were always like, you two can be whatever you want. We're going to help yeah. you with whatever you want and like do what's right for you and that kind of stuff. But they were, there was discipline and they were strict because they were, they were cautious. They were, you know, sort of like yeah. careful, call us when you're out, come home at this time. If you're going to be late, let us know. We're going to work. My, our mother especially yeah. like worries about everything kind of thing, which was good because we stayed alive, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so it was that kind of, it was that kind of relationship. Andy, what do you, what do you? Well, I had a, I was just, I mean, I had a, I had a really hard time with school, you know, up through high school. I, I hated school. wasn't a good student. Um, you know, couldn't focus or study or any of that stuff. So I had, you know, and it, it was, John is complete opposite, you know, like didn't even need to study and he got like straight A's. So it was just like a totally different dynamic in that sense. I, I was the, I was the nerd. Andy was the jock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once I got to college, everything changed. It was so weird how that happened. But, I mean, I, I was like a terrible student, you know, made it to college and then became an excellent student, went to grad school, got like a fellowship, all of that. But I think it, for some reason, it was just like I wasn't, if I wasn't interested in what I was studying, I didn't give a shit. Yeah, I got expelled from high school. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what did you do? I cheated on a fucking chemistry test. It was bullshit. Oh, now, hold on man. a second. Hold what? on a second. Expelled for that, though. Wow. This, yeah, is, yeah, not, this is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, but like, it's not bullshit. It's like, bullshit that I got expelled for something that no, 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 no. small. No, it's not. It's, it's bullshit <laughs> that you oh got God. expelled out of the nine people that also cheated. No. There no was one, nine people in matter. the class I, that cheated. I, I, and yeah. you and one other they person. They should not expel someone expelled. for getting caught. This, this is the point. The point is, is that I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I was bad. And, <laughs> I was not great in school, but here's what I did do. And I don't know if you can relate to this at all. I didn't just say, oh, fuck it, I'm going to get Fs. I would try to figure it out. And that meant cheating. That meant copying homework. I'm like, just the hustle of trying <laughs> yeah. to figure it out. And I think that that is an important part of growing up as well and and something that you can use as an adult and especially as an actor just that hustle trying to yeah. figure it out get it done however you can you yeah. know is part of was part of my education how I many years apart are you guys three years three yeah. and and john you're older yes i know people always ask that because i 
Because <laughs> Candy's much bigger than me. <laughs> so what was your guys' dynamic growing up? Like, John, do you remember when Andy was born? Yes. It's one of my first memories. And which is weird because I was only three. So I don't have a lot of memories from that, from that part of my life. But I remember walking out of the hospital with my dad and us going home and knowing that I had a new brother. Mm. And what was the, that feeling? I, like, wonderful. I, I, I had nothing but, like, I felt, I grew up feeling very protective of Andy all the time, but we were always, we were always very close. Mm. Yeah. Like, from, from the part where, like, we, as Andy was talking about our neighborhood that we grew up on, there was a lot of sets of siblings on that neighborhood, and we would all be, you know, hanging out all the time. And all the other kids that we grew up with would, like, beat the shit out of each other, all the siblings. Mm -hmm. And we just, like, we had our little mini fights here and there. We would, yeah. like, bug each other. Andy particularly would know how to get me going. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't even, like, I don't think we've ever had, like, a major fight in no, our, our whole lives. John accidentally punched me in the face once when we That's were trying true. to, yeah, we, we, were, we were trying to do, uh, we were learning how to fake punch because we had watched it on, what was it? Mickey Mouse Club? I the think, Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And he punched me right in the nose. That was a good one. I didn't. Yeah. I, I missed. And then I also, we were throwing rocks in the woods oh, once oh. and I threw a rock really poorly because, like I said, I'm, I'm not a, an athlete at all. <laughs> and instead of throwing it in the, road, the woods, uh, Andy had bent down and I just hit him oh. right in the forehead. Yeah. And there was oh, like no. a huge gall. Yeah. We took yeah. him to the, it was a, it was a bad thing. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that Rush was what was happening through his high school. <laughs> <laughs> he was just still <laughs> healing. They're just constantly beating <laughs> him up <laughs> all the time. Now, what 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 kind of line of work were your parents in or are in? Uh, our mother was an art teacher mm -hmm. and our dad was in sales and he did oh boy, what was, he was in high tech sales. I yeah, was the, the first tech wave back in the 90s. Yeah, the first tech wave. Yeah. So he he was in sales and he um so he worked he worked pretty hard and our mom, you know, was home after school. Um, so we'd all kind of come home from school together, all three of us. Now, and, did you, you know. do you find that one of you is more like your father and one of you is more like your mother? Meaning like, you know, there's the artist and then there's sort of the tech guy. <laughs> I would definitely not call myself a tech guy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know, Andy. What do you, I, feel, I feel like both of us are a mix of both of them. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'd say getting older now i i think way more things i do i'm like oh shit that's dad i'm i'm being like dad i do i'm the same well now that i am a dad too i also think that as there's, yeah. there's a lot of dad tendencies i start yeah i, I start talking like him i say the same things he says Isn't yeah that it's weird like, oh god <laughs> but our our dad is like the like our dad should have been a our dad should have been a politician because, I mean, he's, he was a sales guy, but he's like the most outgoing person you've ever met would like work a room of strangers. Joke yeah, you talk, he could talk to anyone. Yeah. Really? Yeah, for sure. And our mom is like a little more reserved, but extremely loving, caring. Um, so they were, they were a good mix. Did the, yeah. the accents, are we accented? Yo, oh, yeah. Big oh, time. Big time. Wicked yeah, hot. Because, okay, so so Aaron, my wife, her parents, it's it's It's, it's, it's thick. crazy. It's, it's crazy. But her and her brother Brooks, now they did grow up in Western Mass, but they have no accent. Did you guys, how did that work out for you? 
I mean, I think we we lost ours. You did. Yeah, you if lost. you look at like old like home videos of us when oh we were God. kids, we have the thickest Boston accent. You're like Ben ever. and and Matt and <laughs> yes. in it's crazy. Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> it's so it's it's to the point where so I have a 16 month old now, and he's starting to say words, and he said because he's around my fa- our father so much. He says the word car like ka. Yeah. Like he has a little <laughs> like mini car that he drives car that he drives around and he's just like ka. And I'm like and Emily's like uh Mark that's our dad's name. Mark you're teaching our child this Boston accent that he's now going to have even though he grew up in fucking Los Angeles. <laughs> like, it's so great. Yeah. I love that. Everly well. So, Oliver, Mm. I just did this for the first time. Mm. It was cool. Mm -hmm. So, I did thyroid for the first time. I was like, okay, I'm going to check out my thyroid, you know, see what's going on. What happens is a kit comes, you prick your finger, it gives you all the instructions, you put the blood in the area that you're supposed to put it. I know anyone who has the regular checkups has done this before. Now you can do it yourself. You send it in Mm -hmm. to the lab. And you get results. So they have a bunch of different things that you can do, right? They have food sensitivity. So maybe it's eggs, maybe it's almonds, maybe it's the unsuspecting banana or carrot. So if you struggle with symptoms like bloating, stomach aches, migraines, indigestion, wonder where they could possibly be coming from, the Everly Well Food Sensitivity Test will help you find a They've lot got of clarity. Over thirty at-home lab tests. Right. You can do thyroid. You can do I women's did metabolism. Well, that's what I wanted to do yep. metabolism, I but metabolism. I was like, maybe I'll do thyroid first. Yeah, I'm doing all. <laughs> I mean, I, I really but explain do. Explain what it's, happens. So you then you you ship them. Prepaid shipping label. Mm-hmm. You mail you mail it back to certified lab, and in, in just days, your physician reviewed results. And actionable insights are sent to your device. Boom, right there. Now you got them in the palm of your hand. You can share the results with your with your physician to help you with the next steps and how you want to proceed. Maybe you're perfect like me. I don't know. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Over one million people have tried and trusted Everly Well with their at-home lab testing. It's it's really, it's really awesome, you guys. Yeah, I, I love mean, it. it's really, 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 really cool. Anyway. Um, and for the listeners of this show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash sibling. That's everlywell.com slash sibling. For 20% off your at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash sibling. Oliver. Kate. How was your week in My your week fitness good. regime? Yeah, so I want to talk to you about this future fitness, but right? did you feel late? Don't lie. Did you have a lazy day? No. You didn't? I worked out today, right before you I did? came home from Palm Desert. What I was in Palm Desert. What happens if you have, you're always in Palm Desert. What happens if you have a lazy day? A lazy day, I'll get an alert from Matt, my trainer from Future Fitness. What kind of alert? Like a text? A or? text, yeah. He actually I'll like texts. He texts me. I'll go onto the app and then there's messages and he'll hit me up and saying, what are you doing? I sent you this workout. I've been. I've spent time curating this for you. Why are you not and working out right now? And how can he see that you're not working out? Because I have an Apple Watch. 
and he can actually they send connect. you an Apple Watch. Future Fitness sends you an Apple Watch. I absolutely love this. I think that these guys have created something that's really personal, and you actually have a relationship with someone who keeps you accountable no matter where you are. And the beautiful thing about it is you can move your body for 10 minutes. Yeah. If you just tell your trainer, I got 10 minutes, they will curate and create a workout for you that's right. just going to get you going. It's, it's about doing something every day. Yeah. That's the biggest thing yes. about Staying in shape is is consistency. Oh my God. Body, mind, consistency, and also enjoyment. And what I like about this is they can curate things that actually allow you to enjoy the things that you love. Let's say you like to soul cycle. Right. Or let's say you have a membership to soul cycle and you like it. You don't like to do it every day, but you do it two, three times a week, right? They incorporate all of this into it. So if you're ready to invest in your long-term health and wellness, you can get started with your future coach right now with 50% off your first three months at tryfuture.com slash sibling. Again, that's tryfuture.com slash sibling. So when you were growing up, were you did you lean ever to the arts or was it always sports and... I, I mean, growing up, I never... I never thought about acting ever. I mean, not until I was maybe 25 or 26. I, I, I was totally like, I mean, when I went to college, my whole thing was I was going to go into law enforcement. That was my, that's what I studied. I studied criminal justice and law. I went to grad school for that. That was going to be my path. And then everything changed <laughs> after I, I had gotten I had gotten hired by the FBI and then oh, I thought I, you were going to say I'd gotten high. That's what I was like. Like, I was I, like, oh, no, this no, is no, going to no. be... I got really <laughs> high. I got, I got hired by the FBI, and then I failed the polygraph exam. Oh. And that was, and that was the end of that. What? Really? Are you... Yeah. Can you share with well, us on. what explain, you failed? Explain this. So, this is this is the most Andy story ever because Andy <laughs> is the Andy is the most honest person that I know. So <laughs> This is the thing. If I... Knowing what I know now... I know exactly what they were trying to do to me and they succeeded a hundred percent. So basically going into the, so first I went to, first I went to New York to uh, interview and I went to New York and uh, interviewed, had a great interview, got the job. And they're like, you have the job. You're going back to Boston for a physical and a polygraph. And then you're cleared and you'll get placed somewhere in the United States. So I was like, great. Okay, the, hold on, hold on. The job of what, what was your jo actual so the job? The job was going to be investigative specialist, okay. which, you know, you, you, it's tough to be hired as an agent right off the bat unless you have like a very specific skill like finance or something like that. So the other way to get in to become agent would be like to start as an investigative specialist, which is a lot of like surveillance of foreign uh, people in uh, foreign, uh, you know, people in uh, the United States that the government wants to keep an eye on and that sort of thing. And then you can sort of become an agent from there. Um, and so I go to, uh, I go back to Boston and they schedule my polygraph. And I, up to this point, I knew, you know, some of the major like drug questions they would ask would be like, have you ever smoked weed in the last three years? And I was clean on that. I was, I was clean on everything, but you know, it was like a three week waiting period before the polygraph. And I was really starting to think about it a lot and overthink things like massively because you have to, your, your SF 86, it's called is this mat is this like huge application where they dig into your background, your friends, everything. And you, you can't lie on it at all. And they ask you all sorts of questions and the polygraph is sort of, um, you know, a version of that. 
uh, in person. So I go there and, uh, you know, they bring you in and it's, it's literally something off out of TV. You know, you, you you walk in, you're in an interrogation room with, you know, the mirror and this guy with a gun on his belt and he's right across from you and, and they don't hook you up yet. And he starts going over the questions, um, and you're not hooked up. And so he starts asking me these crazy questions that like, they're very simple questions. You know, first he'll say, is your last name really Favreau? Yes. Uh, Are you associated with any terrorist organizations? No, of course not. And then he starts saying stuff like, have you ever uh, driven over the speed limit? And I'm like, yeah, you know, we all have, right? And he's like, no, that's not true. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you know how like, sometimes you'll go like four or five miles over the speed limit. And he's like, so you're saying you're a reckless driver. I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. Like I've actually never gotten a ticket, but, but, you're, you saying, but you're saying you drive over the speed limit often. Well, no, not often. So now I'm like sweating. Yeah. And so then the next question is, have you, have you ever cheated in school? And now I don't want to disappoint him. So I go, no. And he goes, no, really? And I go, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I might have I might have looked at someone else's test before, you know, just to see if they had the same answer. And now I'm like in this web of lies yeah. already. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not even hooked up to the machine yet. And he's like, so basically I went to um I went to Suffolk University in Boston. He's like, so I could call Suffolk University right now and and tell them that you broke the school's honor code. I said, no, not at, not at all. No, it's not like that. I I never <laughs> but- I know you know what I mean. So <laughs> now I'm just like I'm spinning out and he's like Okay, let's hook you up. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> God. Your heart rate's so already like 165. Oh, literally, no. what, what he saw on that computer in front of him, must he must have never seen anything like that in his life. So he hooks me up, and there's something under your seat to monitor if you're fidgeting. There's something around your chest to monitor your heart rate. There's something on your pulse, on your fingers, everything. I'm like, you can't move. Right. And so he's like, let's go over all those questions one more time. And so he's going over the questions. I'm trying to be very honest. And like, my mind is so fucked at this point. I am like, I'm lying about everything. I'm just like, I don't want to disappoint this guy. I have it in my head that that I'm going to try and maybe I'll just beat this test and pretend I'm telling the truth. Uh, That's so crazy. Yeah. So it ends and he doesn't say anything. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, he goes, I'll be right back. He leaves for like 20 minutes. I'm left there by myself. Everything's still, I'm like, can I unhook myself? I don't, I don't know if I should move. He comes back in and I'm like, he's not saying anything. I'm like, how did it go? And he goes, not great. (laughs) He goes, he goes, what's going on with you today? And I'm like, look, I just really want this job. I think I got a little fucked up in the head with the, you, you know, the questions you were asking, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, well, what do we do? And I'm like, did I fail? And he's like, yeah, you failed. And he's like, you can try and take it again, but they'll, they'll probably say no. It's on your permanent FBI record. So if you wanted to go to the DEA or the Secret Service, or it was like, yeah. It was over. They, it. they would. They would never take it. Oh That's my god! So crazy. So what? So let. So let me ask you a question. Jesus. This is such an interesting thing. Like, why didn't? So so what? What you would have passed if they would have said, "Have you ever cheated on a test?" You and you yeah. just said yes. Yes, I should have just stuck to it and not felt bad about it. I should have just been like, "Listen, I have driven over the speed limit." I don't care what you think. Right. Yeah, are you a reckless gonna, driver? Yeah, you need no. you need confidence in those. I mean, I, yeah. I had to go through. I didn't go. I didn't get a polygraph, but I had to do the SF eighty six and then have yes. agents talk to me and interview me and everyone I knew for the White House to get top secret clearance in the White House. Right. And, 
it does get to, a, I remember getting to the point where they're like, did you smoke weed? Yes, of course, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, well, when did you smoke weed? Talk about the times you smoked weed. And then you have to start talking about times. And they're like, okay, well, it's just you and a friend smoking the weed. Where did you get the weed from? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You're like, who oh, sold you the weed? Like, I don't know. The weed just, oh, so the weed just appeared, right? Yes, this is, this you're, is not gonna, talk. you're not yeah. going to tell us who your dealer was. You're not going to lead us to the, and all of a sudden I'm like, what? I'm a drug dealer now? Right, I right, just right. smoke <laughs> weed? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I just want to write a couple speeches, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And sometimes a little smoke of the doobie helps me write these speeches. <laughs> Oh my no, it's God. all <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so after that happened, I, I just like reassessed everything, and I was like, you know what? I want to be an actor. I thought so I was like, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think maybe this whole time I just wanted to play a cop. Uh, yeah, you're, exactly. <laughs> yeah. you're like, I'm gonna go play a so, fucking FBI agent. Yeah, I think that's probably what I actually wanted to do. So I was like, let's just let's just go fucking take an acting class. That's so so funny. I like took an acting class in Boston, and and from there. Um, it, it all kind of happened from there because there was a lot of movies in Boston at that time and I got involved in some of those and the background work and stuff and then I moved out to LA and continued. I just, I, just, I just played an FBI agent, a special agent. Like literally, oh, I'm, just, I'm so I, jealous. I, I just finished amazing. that job <laughs> yeah. just now. Clearly Oliver hasn't done any research because he did not know about this polygraph. No, no, but I was told things, you know. <laughs> there was a guy on set. <laughs> you know, everything was in the so, wind. So, John, when you guys were in high school, let's just skip right to high school. You, sure. It sounds like you guys were like great, cool family. Were you pre guys pretty much like, were you naughty or were you naughty? What are you even using that word <laughs> for? We were, well, um, I mean, like, I, I mean, what's the, what, what I do you picture, say? I, when naughty, I literally picture them like both sort of naked together or something. <laughs> <No>. like, <laughs> Well, Jesus. Yeah, but it's when you say naughty, it's like, were say, you were naughty? They, were they good kids? Did they, we were, were they good honest kids? No, kids? we were on the like very well-behaved end of the spectrum. Yeah. I, there's actually a, this is before high school, but um, <laughs> years later, went to this wedding of one of my, uh, one of our friends from the neighborhood and I was with my, then, my now wife and she's talking to um, one of our babysitters. This 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 uh, woman who was a, a sister of one of my friends who babysat Andy and I for a long time, and Emily's like, "What was it like babysitting John and Andy?" And she's like, uh, "It was like stealing money from the Favros because I didn't have to do anything." And then when it came time for bedtime, instead of me saying to them, "You have to go to bed," the two of them would say. All right, it's time for bed now. We're going to go up and brush our teeth and put ourselves to bed. Not one minute past eight o'clock. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, we were. That's a dream. Yeah, we were. That we means were, you're, yeah. you're your parents, good kids. That means your parents are great. I have, a good, I have a good high school story about being naughty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't say you are yeah, naughty. What's wrong with so, the word naughty? It sounds. It, it is. The connotation is very. Uh, yeah. It's like. Uh, so, it's, it's sexual in nature. Um. You know, b between between John and I, collectively, we probably had maybe three parties at the house all throughout mm -hmm. high school. You know, not that many. Um, but the one party I did decide to have was I was it was senior year. I think summer of senior year going into college. Our parents were away. I decided to have a gathering. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a bender or anything, but I had some people over and um we uh, were taking pictures, you know, back then, obviously, we still did the disposable cameras and stuff. So we were taking a bunch of pictures and whatnot. And I, uh, you know, successful party, the parents come home from vacation. They have no idea it happened. Everything was cleaned up perfectly. It was great. 
Uh, a couple days later, my mom calls me downstairs and she goes, I just came back from CVS to pick up our pictures from the vacation. <laughs> oh, God. And so what happened was she went into CVS. She said, I'm picking up photos for Favreau. Mm -hmm. They gave her my photos from the party. <laughs> and it was just, and she starts throwing pictures at me like I'm, you know, like I'm in the interrogation room. <laughs> some like, no wonder you failed that I test. I can't look at him. Yeah. I have, I had a Rookie similar, shame. I actually had a similar thing. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I went to take what I thought was my film to go get developed but I got it back and it was all of Oliver and his friends just like blazed taking pictures of their eyeballs. <laughs> so, so it's just Oliver with like these like big red eyes and they're just like, <laughs> and it's John and Je like you guys were all. Oh God. I think I still Don't have them in there. Don't we all feel lucky that we're all yes. old enough that all these pictures were actual pictures yes. and not just mm -hmm. pictures online. Not on Instagram. Like like, <laughs> oh, what, what would we have done? I don't know. What oh my God. I think about that I would have been, I don't know. I mean, I so I, bad. I have pictures that I know were taken that I've actually seen that I can still see what exactly what they were, that if they came <laughs> out today, it would be like, oh my God, dude. Yeah. Like, the thing that wakes you up at two in the morning. You're like, oh, <laughs> So what about John, when you left for college? You know, was mm -hmm. there, was that a, a sad moment? Were you guys that close to where now you're, you're gone? And then well, I went to, um, I went to Holy Cross, which is in Worcester, uh, sort of close to Longmeadow. And, um, and then Andy went to Suffolk. And so like, I, I brought Andy to Holy Cross a few times. I think yeah. like the, the drunkest Andy got, or oh, the yeah, first time sure. he got really drunk was when he came to Holy Cross and I took him to a party and then like poor Andy was like sitting around the toilet all night. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And I was like, what did I, what did I do to my poor younger brother? <laughs> I was like a junior. He was a freshman, so, I think, or I was a senior. Maybe. All, I can't yeah. remember. all part of the younger brother experience. Yeah. Right. But we, yeah, but we, we saw each other a lot then. Ollie invited me to Boulder. I was like 17. Yeah. And I was like, this is obnoxious. I was one of those <laughs> sisters. I was like, Oliver's going to like, like, I can't believe mom is paying for him to go to college. <laughs> like, in my mind, all I was thinking about was like, Oliver isn't at college. He's just partying. That's I, like, I, could, I couldn't agree more. He was doing. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's why I called my mom first semester of this, my sophomore year. And I was like, I need to get out of here. So when you were, when you were partying, having fun, which now I wish I w did do, um, did you, did that where you fell in love with this idea of speech writing and politics? And yeah, I thought for a while that maybe I'd be a journalist because I loved writing. And then uh, junior year at Holy Cross, they had a DC internship program where you could go to DC and, and, and intern anywhere you wanted. And I interned in um, John Kerry's office who was our senator and he that was it was 2002 so he was getting ready to run for president so i sat for a semester with his communications director and speechwriter and political director and they were all planning the campaign and it was all exciting to me so i loved the internship so much that when i came back to holy cross senior year i kept bugging them for a job on the carry campaign any job and then, like, the night before I graduated, they gave me a job as a press assistant on the campaign. Uh, and so I moved to D.C. two weeks after uh, I graduated. And I started politics that way. But I sort of I sort of just fell into speechwriting because I ended up sitting next to the speechwriter for the campaign. 
And when Kerry was losing the primary and he was broke and he couldn't hire a real extra speechwriter, I was there and they didn't have to pay me more than my $20,000 a year that I was getting. And, um, <laughs> and so I was just promoted thinking that he was going to lose anyway. HelloFresh, Oliver, have you been using it? I've yes. been using mine. I love my HelloFresh. Uh, HelloFresh. Especially say when you got kids. God, it's so it's easy. It's the best. I it know. makes it easy for yep. everybody. Yep. I can literally be like, Bing, make your own dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Bing is true. very resourceful it's like that. It's true. Bing the other day came down. He cut up some cucumbers, made a miso soup thing oh, with his wow. noodles, did like a whole thing and came into my bedroom because I was up there just like like um, watching Love is Blind. And he it. just came up with like his whole like. Yeah. I was like, what? Wow. That's great. Yeah. He's the best. So Bing. He could do. He could he make everyone make food. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door. Farm fresh produce. It arrives within a week, so you, you you get the convenience without skimping on quality. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to wait in the long Quick and lines. easy meals. You don't have to waste money on no. or, or, or you know have the excess food. Food waste, is which insane. is drives both Oliver and I yes, crazy. It makes me crazy. me crazy, and it's so. It's yummy. easy. They're like 20 minute recipes, really low prep, easy cleanup. And that's, I think, the thing that's nice. Sometimes you want to go the extra mile, but most of the time, meal prep is the hardest thing for mm -hmm. when you've got as many kids as Ollie and I both do. It's like, yeah. Oh, it's great. Crazy. I made these, uh, God, I can't remember the exact name of them, but it was a, it was like a sand, it was like a, a dinner sandwich, like a sloppy Joe type of a thing. I can't remember the name, but everything is right there. I mean, prepackaged, everything's perfect. You're like, oh, this is so simple. All I need is like a pan and some olive oil. Super, super easy. Love it. Um, so go to HelloFresh.com slash Sibling16. Sibling16 and use code Sibling16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh.com slash Sibling16 and use code Sibling16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. You know what I was thinking? Well, can I tell you what I was thinking first? I was just in the desert. I just got back from Palm Desert. Oh, cool. And it was like 85 degrees there. Mm -hmm. And I put four cores light. I said, oh, light. cool. Like, I didn't know you were in the <laughs> desert. You like had my son. I did. I had your son. <laughs> but I was not drinking cores like, oh, light with your son. <laughs> but I was in the desert with a group of guys and I had four cores lights in my cooler. Mm. And I, cr I cracked them open. That and immediately we were like on hole six. Hole nine is where you the turn where you get stuff. Yeah. Everyone in my group went and got Coors Lights because they were like, that looks amazing. I'm like, it is amazing. You started a Coors Light trend. I did. I did. It is the time of year though. I, this is like, we're in the hectic time of year where you're like coming into the spring. There's a lot of activity happening now. Now everybody's like out and about and what have you. And it kind of gets me excited for like baseball and a beer. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's true. I kind of feel like there's always a good time for a beer. Of course. Oh, a there's, Coors Light. There's never a bad time for a Coors Light. Maybe that should be the new slogan. Yeah. But it is made to chill. We're still... Chilling. We're still chilling. And I still love a Blue Mountain. Don't get me wrong. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, cold packaged. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally made to chill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So when I take a second for myself, and I'm speaking for my sister as well, I reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart by going to CoorsLight.com slash Hudson. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How do you how how do you become a speechwriter? I know you, I just heard your little your 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 sort of the way that you segued into it, but you know what are the things that you have to pay attention to to be a prolific, a great speechwriter? I mean, obviously you have to capture the voice of that person, right? Is yeah. that the idea? Yeah, you have to be a good. If, if, aside from being a good writer, you have to be to be a bit of a mind reader a bit of a diplomat because every speech, especially for politicians, there's like a, a whole crew of people that want to be involved. And so you have to take some people's edits and try to push away some other people's edits and you have to, you know, make peace with everyone. But really like to learn Barack Obama's voice, you know, I read both of his books. I went to every town hall he did. I listened to every interview he did. But then I just made sure I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with him because you've got to not only know how the person speaks and writes, you need to know how the person thinks and so you have to get so close to the person that you can let, like when Barack Obama is interviewed now to this day, I could probably tell you what his answers are going to be <laughs> right. no matter what question he's asked, just because I know how he thinks about things. And if you have that kind of relationship with the person that you're writing for, then I think you can do a good job. And what about just the structure of the speech? You know, I mean, I love to write. I don't, I mean, I'm not really a structured writer. I just like words and and so but Ollie's when he's a great writer you're when a you're, great writer. <clears throat> thank you when you're structuring something like that how focused are you on sort of the prose and the flowery mm -hmm. element of it and then how much is sort of the structure of the speech and how it's all going to sort of sing it should be the structure of the speech and the story first like i think a, i think the problem with a lot of politician speeches is that it's just a collection of sound bites and applause lines that are just like strung together and I think writing a speech should be like telling a story. It should be like having a, it should be as close to a conversation that you have with someone who you're telling a story to as possible. And once you've got the logic and flow of the story down and the structure of the speech, just like a, a script, you know, like then once you have that down, then you can concentrate on, do I want more flowery language here? Do I want an applause line, et cetera, et cetera. But you got to, I think you got to get the structure. Does your first, ego ever, of, does your ego ever get into it where you're like, ah, oh, dude, I'm going to write the fucking, it's, it's happening. I got the line. <laughs> I got the historic line. I got the not ask what you can, what your country can do for you line. Yeah. What's the proudest, <laughs> what's the proudest line you wrote for the Obama presidency? I can't remember if it's a, see, we didn't, Obama and I didn't focus as much on lines. We focused on like, What's this? What's the whole speech going to be? What's the story of the speech? But there was a there was a string of speeches in the primary, where from like winning Iowa the night that he won the Iowa caucuses to the night that he lost narrowly to Hillary in New Hampshire and gave the yes we can speech to the convention speech to when he won the presidency and, and did the speech in Grant Park the victory speech like every time he won a primary or a caucus or the nomination me and the other speechwriters would get pretty excited writing those speeches because everyone took those live and they were historic and he got to be soaring. And like, you don't get to do that with a lot of politicians. I, I don't even, I mean, since him, I don't think you get to do that with a lot of politicians. And so it was really lucky. Who's responsible for Yes, We Can? Yes, We Can was a slogan in an ad in his 04 Senate campaign that David Axelrod, uh, his chief strategist, wrote into the ad 
that Obama initially didn't like because he thought it was too cheesy. And then Michelle was like, I don't think it's too cheesy. I think it's good for the ad. So they put it in the ad. And then that was in 04. I brought it back for the New Hampshire speech because I was like, he had this great slogan from 2004 that he hasn't used anymore. Like, let's try to do it in a different way and sort of connect it to the history of America and stuff like that. So that's how we mm. did it in the, uh, in cool. the New Hampshire speech that, that night. But why politics? Like, why did you, why were you attracted to politics? And, 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 then, and then even to elaborate, even, you know, to continue on where you started and where we are now. I mean, it's just fucking crazy. So, I mean, I can't tell, like, I, I feel, Andy, I don't know if you remember this growing up, but I felt like we were a pretty political household in the sense that mom and dad were always talking about politics on the, not like they wanted to be politically active, but right. when there was political news, they would talk about it. Our aunts and uncles would talk about it. Our grandparents would talk about it. Our grandfather, my, my our father's father was a state rep in New Hampshire um, also. So it sort of was how we grew up. Yeah. And, you know? And then I felt, and then I, I think when I went to Holy Cross and, you know, Holy Cross is run by the Jesuits and they're like very into social justice. I kind of felt, a, aside from like the political gossip that we all had growing up, then I sort of felt a pull to just make the world better, as cheesy as it sounds. Like I wanted to just help. I wanted to do things to make a difference. Um, especially like going to school in Worcester and I did a lot of community service in the city and I just felt like the the best way to do this, the big the best way to make an impact is to actually go into politics. And I also liked sort of the the excitement of it too. So it it was both an exciting field and something that I felt like I was I was doing doing good. Yeah. John John, I'm 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 intrigued to know because you've worked in an administration so intimately, and then now, you know, you're you're doing something completely different. You know, you've got your your company, your media company. Um, even though it's probably a lot of it zeroed in on politics and things. What is you, are you comfortable taking a position on politics? How do you see the Democratic Party that you were in, in 2000, when in the Obama administration versus, versus what we're looking at now? Like, do you see a big difference? Do you, are you happy with the state of our, of our? No. <laughs> so the Obama campaign was something special, right? And we win and there's all this hope and there's all this possibility and we get to the White House and we have all of these crises at once and the White House is, it's it was brutal, right? And the Republicans were brutal and the financial crisis was brutal. And I can remember in the reelect in 2012, flying around the country with Obama and him saying, all we have to do is if we win this, if we beat these guys again in 2012, then the fever will have broken and the Republicans from then on will, will realize that they're going to keep losing if they keep being this obstructionist and this extremist and they'll, they'll start working with us and things will get better. And obviously that has not <laughs> happened at all. And it has been hard from that point on. It, it, politics has felt like being a Democrat, being a progressive an uphill struggle to say the least. And look, there are, I still do it and I care a lot about it because I feel like there are only two choices. There is keep fighting or give up. And we know what happens if we all give up. So I'm just going to keep at this. Um, and there are moments that you're hopeful at, you know, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris win the election. Uh, we win the midterms in 2018. Like there are these moments that 
and pass legislation that you care about, right? And um, but on a daily basis, it is a fucking mess, as is evident to everyone who is a casual observer. Um, and I think that is true for a lot of reasons. I think it's partly the extremism of the Republican Party. I think it's the power of Fox News and their propaganda machine. I also think I'm doing this podcast now called Offline, which is about the Internet breaking our brains. Like, I think that the way we interact with each other, the way that we debate each other, the way that we talk to each other, which happens mostly online, is making nuance and subtlety and good faith and empathy and understanding nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because every, you know, there's just like a lot of virtue signaling and shit posting and owning people. And there's very little actual debate about the issues that matter. Um, and the problem is the issues now, they're so dissected into fiction, reality, kind of fiction, kind of reality. And these algorithms are feeding us what we want. And, yes. and, 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 and these algorithms don't give a fuck whether it's true or not. And then we're just sort of eating this bowl of just bullshit porridge. And now how do we have a healthy debate when you're not debating anything factual or one one thinks it's fact, the other doesn't and vice versa, it's just a total mess. You can't even have a healthy conversation anymore. You got to get those likes and retweets. <laughs> That's what it's all them. about. It's also just it's like true. imaginative, <laughs> innovative thinking. Um, the what, what it's doing to our brains and what it's like, what, what the part of the brain that it shuts off. Like a, a weird example is, I went to go drop my daughter off at school today. I forgot my phone. And so I'm driving and I realize I don't have my phone. I'm like, okay. Ronnie and I were like silent. It was really interesting and kind of <laughs> weird. You know, we were just sort of silent. And then we had like a little conversation. And then I drove home and halfway through the drive home, I started talking to myself. <laughs> and, I, and I realized that we don't spend time quiet. In, li- no. in life, ever. I mean, I, I, I say that, I mean, I'm, I say that as a, as a, uh, a zenial, or we're, we're called zenials. Did you know this? I'm not. It's a, we're a cusper. Yeah. Cuspers are. I'm not that. Cuspers are a thing, <laughs> you know, but I say this as like, you know, it's just funny how your brain are, we don't, we don't allow our brains. And that is where like, you talk about healthy debate. You talk about things that actually the, the times in our lives where we could actually focus on one thing and fo- focus on it in a way where there's no distraction just doesn't exist anymore. I, I will say, and, and I'm not even fucking around, like I, when I'm in my car, there's nothing on and I'm just quiet with myself. And really? I, I just love quiet it. space yeah. in the car? I nothing. just drove, I finished this job and we were in Vegas last day. I just drove four hours. I, maybe I listened to Stern a little bit, but for the mm-hmm. most part, it was just quiet. I hear the road, I hear the car on the road and it's just my thoughts just going. I do I do that a lot too. Back when I used to bartend, uh, and I, when I'd get out at like three in the morning to drive home, I need silence. Because it's just like so much. Your head is just like so full of shit. And yeah. I would love to just get in my car and have nothing. It feels good. It's, it's almost a it form of meditation. I think Bateman does that too. Jason Bateman. I think when he gets into his car, everything just shuts off. Nothing. It's just quiet. Yeah. It, it's also like... It, I love Bateman. It's anxiety too, reading that much news. Like I, we were... We were at Andy's for Thanksgiving, the family, and I woke up on Thanksgiving morning and I looked at my phone as I often do and start scrolling and I saw the first news of the Omicron variant. And I 
started reading more about it and I started getting all freaked out. And all through Thanksgiving, Andy, I don't even know if you noticed, I was like so tense because I decided I didn't want to tell the rest of the family about this new variant because I didn't want to freak everyone out and have everyone make sure everyone had a good Thanksgiving. But the whole time I'm like, have my phone and I'm looking and I'm like, fuck, fuck, it looks like it's getting worse. Fuck. (laughs) Well, when you finally said it, I was like, then I, then the rest of my Thanksgiving was ruined. I was like, wait, and, and it's, he's so worried that he's actually announcing it to the family. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I know. I only <laughs> made it to, I only made it to dessert. And then someone said something about Bavarian. I'm like, there's a new one, guys. There's a new one. Give me trouble. I'm so sorry to ruin this Thanksgiving, but we're, we're an so Omnicron. That, I was also so mad that I was somehow behind on Twitter that I didn't know about the variant. Yet, which know, is I, so I, weird. You're like, you're variant about. FOMO. I got I to gotta give you some epidemiologists to follow on Twitter. That'll, that'll, that'll brighten your day just as much as politics. But, but Andy, I, I know what I you mean, that? or John and both of you guys, I know what you mean. Like you click on news or even just the Apple news icon and it's just all bad things. This person's murdered. There's new variants. <laughs> yeah. And I can't take it anymore. I, I, I barely read anything anymore when I know that I should to try to educate myself and just be current. But it just, it's all crap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think about that a lot because on Pod Save America, we're trying to tell, you know, educate people about politics and, and inspire them to take action. Lo- I love your, love your show, by the way. Thank for you. For a while. Yeah. But we, I have to always calibrate, as does Tommy and John and Dan, like how much bad news we want to deliver. How, like, even if it's a serious topic, we try to keep it light. We try to joke around, partly just because, like, uh, you, everyone gets misery from their phones or from watching the news on television. Like if you're going to listen to it, we at least have to keep it light or Mm -hmm. else everyone's going to tune out and I don't blame them. I also think it goes back to what you were saying about the show that you're doing about the, just, just the digital era. The thing is, if you really go back to how we're supposed to be living as a species, even though we're evolving, we've got to figure that one out. um, We wouldn't know things that were happening outside of our community. We wouldn't really, yeah. you know, we didn't have the resources. There was only so much that you could put in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. You, There was only so much that a news channel, like what makes the news hour, you know. Now we don't have that at all. There's not a separation. Everything so is connected. available. And, Too connected. And there's always a headline over and over. Well, now our ability to know about the world's misfortune is infinite, but our ability to change it has stayed the same. Feels mm-hmm. hopeless. So that, so that gap mm-hmm. has made us feel a little bit more helpless and sure but you also what you have is you have a lot of loud voices and the loud voices do not represent the amount of people out in the world who aren't loud they're a right. small percentage and i think that's the other thing which is we amplify the loud voices and, but but we forget to listen to the solution oriented ideas well, you talked about public service. You know, you talk about sort of you want to do better, you want to do good. Essentially, that's why politicians get into it, or that's what it used to be. Now mm. it just seems like a major power grab. Like there's nothing about helping any constituent. It's just about staying in power however you can. I mean, in your time in politics, even though it hasn't been, you know, 50 years, but have you seen that shift from wanting to actually do something good to to now just be a power play. So I think there's a there's been a bit of a shift. I think it's a couple things. One, um, the people who just want it for the title and the power are, as Kate was saying, the loudest people who get the most attention. So you hear about them more, you hear from them more than the people who are just in it for all the right reasons. And two, 
I think the people who would traditionally go into the job or pursue a career in politics for the right reasons are don't want to do it anymore because it seems like a fucking mess and because you open yourself up to like, it, you know, it's not just like you have skeletons in the closet kind of thing. It's like a tweet that you, you know, tweeted mm -hmm. a couple years ago is going to yeah. come back to haunt you or right. something that you said that's taken out of context is going to attack or something you never even did, but people think you did, you know, like yeah. there's so many reasons not to put yourself into the spotlight that I think a lot of good people who otherwise would be wonderful public servants are, aren't going to want to serve. Yeah. Andy, are you going to be canceled, do you think, at some point once you become super famous? <laughs> Why did you even put that out into the ether? <laughs> now there's a target. Yeah, it's like an FBI. You're like back on the polygraph. Who can find who can find dirt on Andy? Andy's the least cancelable person I know in my life. Andy, if Andy gets canceled, then we're all canceled. I'm surprised all canceled. Oliver hasn't been canceled. Well, I have a theory about all that. You know, because look at Howard Stern. Howard Stern has done some of the craziest shit ever and he's untouchable because that's the persona that he has created and so it's almost like oh well he gets a pass so the cancel culture does not it does discriminate you know i mean if you have already been that outlandish and you are a howard a type of howard stern then he gets a pass you know i think it select no cancel cult it selects for the shameless among us and if you're shameless and you don't care and you're not going to apologize because you say fuck apologies, right. then eventually you just keep going. You just keep going. <laughs> That's like that yeah. was Trump. That's how we got Trump as president. <laughs> Are you crypto curious? Because I am. I have been for a while now. And my crypto curiosity led me to Coinbase. And I'm in. I'm all in. So Coinbase offers a trusted and easy to use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. It's, it's very, very simple. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. The, the interface is super simple. They offer portfolio management and protection. Um, they can teach you. They've got these learning resources. Uh, there's a mobile app to make everything so simple. And you can securely monitor your crypto all in one place. At the push of a button, you know exactly what's going on. Millions of people in over 100 countries are now using Coinbase, and they trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Trust is the big word when we're dealing with cryptocurrency, and you can trust Coinbase. So whether you're looking to diversify or just get started, or you're searching for a better way to, to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, New users can get 10 bucks in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash siblings. So sign up at coinbase.com slash sibling for $10 in free Bitcoin. Who knows what that can turn into? This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash sibling. Of all of the pod podcast shows that you've done about politics, what is the most sought after and desired topic from your listeners? Like, like within politics? Yeah. Like what, what is, what is the thing that you think, think they're just, uh, they want more of, they want to hear about more? Um, I actually think in the last year, actually probably through tw from 2020 on is like voting rights and sort of the state of our democracy in, in general, C kind of this conversation we've been having where like, 
are we still going to have a democracy, like, especially after the, you know, uh, attempted coup and the insurrection? <laughs> like, people want to know that where people are going to be able to vote, that they're not going to have voting restrictions, that their vote's going to count, that we're going to have people, we're going to make sure that people don't aren't able to steal an election again. Um, I think that our listeners, I hear about that probably more than anything else. So I think it's sort of issue by issue. Do but. you find that the Democratic Party is starting to split into two sections, ones that are more sort of traditionally libertarian uh, and then ones that are very socialist? I think that the Democratic Party is always a million different factions. <laughs> we're like, I mean, part of the challenge is as, you know, we're fighting like sort of an extremist faction of the Republican Party. And in order to win in sort of a gerrymandered, you know, anti-majoritarian system that we have right now, you need a large majority of people in the country to vote for you as a Democrat. And so we won in 2020 only by... 40,000 votes across a couple states, because that's the Electoral College, by having everyone from center-right former Republicans who voted for Mitt Romney and George W. Bush to the AOCs and the Democratic Socialists of the world. Like, we, they all had to be in one tent. And if we're going to keep winning elections and stave off potentially the end of democracy with another Trump presidency or something worse, we need to keep all those people in the same tent. And that's a really hard job <laughs> because you have, like you said, some more people, more libertarian, you have socialists, you have liberals, you have centrists, you have moderates. And like the only way we win is if we all sort of work together. And that's a hard, that's hard, especially but, in but a country you, this you big. You say the diverse. end of democracy, but what is that? What is that like hyperbolic or are you actually, is that a real thing for you. I mean, and what does that look like, really? Look, I don't think it, yeah, I don't think it looks like, you know, traditional fascism that we might know, but um, from history. But I do worry that if Trump, Trump runs again, which he seems like he wants to, I think he is the odds on favorite to be the GOP nominee. Mm -hmm. I but think what about he is, DeSantis? I think he will crush DeSantis because I think people love Trump. Um, all the polls show him way, way ahead of all the rest of them. So I think unless he dies or is goes to jail in a way that he can't run from jail, which is also possible, um, then he's, I think he's got a very, very, very good shot at the nomination. If he's the Republican nominee, the country is polarized enough that I think we're right back to where we were in 2020, which is he is probably 30, 40, 50,000 votes away from being a president again. And I think if Trump wins again, I think the second term looks a lot worse than the first because I think even in that first term, some of the people he had in government were not the people he really wanted in government. They weren't super loyalists. Now that all those people have left, it's only the fucking hardcore nuts that are going to be left with him in the second term. And they're going to do some scary shit. And it's not going to necessarily be like a fucking Hitler thing, but it's going to, I hope, but it's going to be... Um, you know, it'll be press freedoms degraded. It'll be starting to go after enemies, maybe using the IRS, maybe using some other government agencies. It'll be putting in place more voting restrictions so that they stay in power. Like, it'll be gradual, but it'll not be sort of the democracy that that we have now or that we've known in the past. And it's going to be, I think, really hard for Democrats to win again if that happens. So it's, it's you know, it's a challenge. Do you miss being a part of an administration? No, <laughs> I, I loved what I did. I was incredibly lucky to work for Barack Obama. I think he's a once in a generation talent. Uh, I can't imagine if someone like him came along again, what I would do. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I could do it again, but 
I was also young then. I was in my 20s and I could sleep four hours and work seven days a week and I can't do that anymore. And I think because he was so special and working for him was so special that like I kind of want to just put that where it was in my life. And I also just love the job that I'm doing now. I mean, it's 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 fun. it's easier than working in the White House, what I do now for yeah. sure. But it's also very fulfilling. So I feel like I'm in like the best job ever. So getting back okay. to the brother thing real and, quick, and then it's, and it's, then it's been should, a long time. Yeah, and then we should do our. But are you guys super close now? You know, are you guys still as close as you've ever were? You know, oh yeah, you are. I mean, because we, yeah. I mean, I got I. One of the reasons when I left. DC or when I left the White House and I was in DC and I had to figure out where to go next. Um, a main reason that I came to Los Angeles is Andy was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was I like, was push, I was pushing it too. I, it, I wanted yeah. to come. And yeah. so I, you know, once I moved out here, then we, I mean, we were always close, but then we got closer. And now, you know, uh, we, Emily and I see Andy and Molly mm-hmm. and my parents like if, if not every weekend every other weekend because yeah, we all live so hey all you guys by. the one thing i'm looking at my notes here that we didn't talk about which we have to is your news around the house when you guys were kids and oh i guess God. my question is do we still do the news around the house <laughs> <laughs> andy emily emily uh spilled this to, to oh my god i was like did they call our that would know if they called our parents that would be a fucking nightmare (laughs) what is news around the house we have so many embarrassing stories when we were kids I wanted to do like a fake news I guess I should have known then that I was going to be a podcaster we did a fake news program called news around the house where we had a video camera because our our father bought a video camera. We we're all excited. So we would set it up and do different news segments around the house. We'd yeah. do news, weather, sports, and it was just Andy and I and like one of our neighbors and we'd run around doing it. And we the tapes are somewhere and I God, I hope no one ever sees oh them. Oh no, you I guess I should have known I guess I should have known I was gonna be an actor then. I wanted That's to be an right, actor. yeah. Andy was uh, acting. I, I was known doing, that. Yeah, that was the, uh, that yeah, was the no, key no to one, our future. No one will, it, it, here's the thing, Ollie. If I do get canceled, it's if those tapes come out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. You guys, we used to make movies when we were kids oh not God. dissimilar but there's one called the naked what was it the naked one where you're like the naked guy oh, oh butt naked butt naked it's called butt naked <laughs> <laughs> like like we should have known you know what I mean yeah. like we should have yeah. known it's really a good, it was a great concept the concept was, <laughs> was simple right there. the concept was simple <laughs> It was that when the when the, there was kids playing and, and, and they made fun of this kid and they took his clothes and he was in the pool. So he was a naked guest at this house. He runs mm-hmm. into the house and disappears. Now we cut so to 20 years later and the man living in the house was one of his best friends. And this little boy has been living naked within the walls of this house for 30 years. 30 years. And I played the naked guy. So I had. Of course you did. I had braces that were all fucked up, like crazy hair and teeth. (laughs) And he's like running around, and there was like. Running around naked. Through the window of like this naked guy running through our backyard. Send it to you. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. No, I want to take a look at that. Oh my God. The videos we have, and in most of them, I'm always the victim. Like we got into real horror stuff and I was always like the one getting who- killed. <laughs> yeah. so funny. I was always the one who was like, um, all right, guys, this is fun. Let's do our speed round because this usually isn't speedy. One word to describe the other. Uh, this is Andy talking. And I would say. Uh, empathetic. I would. This is John. And I would say driven. Oh, 
One word to describe your relationship. Hmm. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, This is John. I would say easy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Good one. Good one. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) I would say... This is so lame. Fun. (laughs) Fun is good. I like fun. Fun's good. Uh, Fun and easy. Who was nerdier? We already know. It was John. Um, well, I mean, it was a nerd. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. He, he was a self, he was the <laughs> self proclaimed nerd. I was pretty nerd. nerdy until late high school. He said it himself okay. on the show. It was a dork. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was more of a good goody two shoe? Oh, I'd say me. Yeah. It is Andy talking. I still am. <laughs> still am. Uh, are you? <laughs> that's, and that's how you know what a goody two shoes is. Cause like, no one thinks of me as like the the badass of the family. Right, but I am. <laughs> right, right. you are. <laughs> but I am. Yeah. Like Andy won't even make a U turn. Like no, 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 no. I'm by the book. And you failed your FBI fucking polygraph. How is this possible? I know why because know. He, he wants was trying to, so to be by good. The book. No, he, he wants to please. please. He wants that's to please right. so much and be liked so oh, much Andy. that he's lying to people. Yeah, I wanted to. Sh- I wanted to tell that FBI agent that I was the biggest goody two shoes yeah. in the world, right. and unfortunately, it backfired. <laughs> um, okay, what was the first job for each of you? Very first job. This is Andy talking, and. I still think about this job to this day because it was the one of the best jobs I've ever had. I worked at uh, Hillview Golf Course in North Reading, which was the public course. I worked there. Uh, I was like working in the cart barn, which is like you you know pick the driving range, tool around on golf carts all day. I worked there with my best friend Brian Hawks, and we had the best time ever. We would play free golf. Mm. We'd fuck around on the golf carts all day. Fun. We'd get in trouble, Love. and we were getting paid, and it was it was fantastic. Amazing. We did that all through high school. I love that so much. Uh, I, I was a cashier at CVS. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Not an ad. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what was your first job, Ollie? Other than the mailroom, because uh, you were I was I, I didn't get paid money, but I got free uh, entry to like fishing boats when I was working like as a pinhead out of, on the Aquarius. Oh, cool! Out of, Marina, out of Malibu, off the pier. Nice. I didn't get paid money, but I got to like sort of fish for free and clean the boat. That's great. My first job was at Bow and Arrows in Manhattan Beach. I remember. And I, it was a clothing store because I was loved my fashion. And I got, (laughs) it was this tiny little store that sold like BCBG dresses. Mm -hmm. And I used to see lots of cute hockey players. And that was good enough for me, guys. (laughs) (laughs) That works. Um, okay, who um, has the most power in your relationship? Whoa, that seems like. Hmm. I don't mean that in like a weird way. I mean that in, I'm meaning like, if you're going to be like, we're going to dinner and someone's like, no, we're getting sushi, we're not getting Italian food, who's going to win? I would say the uh, um, our wives have the most power in both <laughs> of our relationships. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we don't, it is funny, like, when we do things together, all four of us, Andy and I don't even know that we're seeing the other one sometimes. That's what we I, don't thought, even that's know what I was the, just thinking we about. Do, yeah. yeah, we don't even know the plans. Oh, Emily so and Ollie funny. just figure it all out. Yeah. Yeah. What is that in our relationship? It's uh, kind of a weird question, isn't it? Yeah, we don't do a lot of things like go to dinner and stuff. No, like, I'm talking about power, like the power dynamic. 
like a I've, power dynamic I've, in a sibling you, relationship. I think I've found my power in the last like six months. <laughs> 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 Who's the bigger daredevil? Well, it's got to be Andy because I'm the least. Although neither of us are I'd much say of a ne- I would say neither of us. We are both. <laughs> but the, but we I, are, I mean, we take no risks. I love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I guess me and some things. Not like I'm not going to like jump out of a plane or anything. Um, but maybe I'm. Maybe I have slightly riskier behavior who, than Andy. Who is? Well, your... it's also funny. It's also funny you said that because you're like deathly afraid of flying. Yeah, that's true. I'm also. Oh yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to touch on that. I forgot to ask about that. Like, are you still afraid of flying? I'm always. I, it's never stopped me from going somewhere. I'm I had, not that bad. Yeah, but I, I have. Yeah. You know, I have benzos for the flight. Yeah. I like. Yeah. I'm even if I take them. If it's bad turbulence, I'll yeah. be freaked out. It's not. It's not great. So you're afraid of just cr- plummeting thirty three thousand feet to the ground, basically. Yes. Like if the plane like <laughs> exploded in the air, that would be one thing. But right. like the idea of the this fear. is how I'm going to go, and I'm on a plane <laughs> oh by myself, and it's going. That was. That's just. That's my nightmare. <laughs> totally. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Having a kid has that. How has that changed that? Has it made it worse? It's made it. It's so funny. It's for me. It's my terror is so high that it's the same. It's constant. But Emily, my wife, she has never been afraid of flying, and now she's very afraid of flying because she's like, I can't leave. Yeah, she she almost did the like. Should we be on separate planes? Yeah. That's thing. how I'm. I'm that way with Danny. I don't want to be on the same plane. No, I know, I know. I, I was so. Together. I used to be so scared of flying. I used to take like 80 Xanax and drink a few beers, and <laughs> and I'd have about a good same. five just, minutes like, of insanity. Like, yeah. Just, or my like, wife is like, holy shit, and then I'm like, ah, and then I'm out. So well, but then I like then I realized the if I did that and I have <laughs> to land and work, which I you know, last several years I've had and yeah. in the White House too. I'm like, I can't do that. No. So then I just couldn't do that. You know? No, then you just got to fucking white knuckle. White knuckle through it. Um, so who was your who was your first like celebrity crush? Uh, it would be uh, Kelly Kapowski on Saved by the Bell. Yeah, uh, so I would say so too. Really? <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Big Saved by the we, Bell fans we, in our we, house. We, we, Watched yeah, all the we, episodes. We grew up watching Saved by the Bell. We've probably seen every episode maybe three, four times. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Favorite yeah. book? I, I don't read, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Favorite script. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite book. That's so hard. There's so many. It's so hard. And I don't read that much either. I just read the news. Guilty pleasure. Vanderpump rules. Yeah, I can watch some reality TV. Yeah. Yeah. Just shitty shitty TV I like. That's my I like shitty TV too. Selling Sunset, that's my current. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've oh been watching Selling Sunset. Oh my God, I love too. Selling Sunset. Yeah. Sometimes I just put it on in the background because it's so... It's my, I like back, I've come to enjoy background TV, which is also bad, but you know. I like Below <laughs> Deck. Below Deck is... Oh, yeah, chance. that's good so too. So good. Okay, guys, let's do the last question. Oliver's going to ask it. We always, end, we always end our episodes with this, and it's a two-part question. Mm-hmm. And Ollie, you, you go. Um, the first part is if looking into, uh, dealing with each other, right? If you can, do you forget the question? question. Why? This is so weird. Because we haven't done a podcast in eight months. Okay. So it's a two part. (laughs) So the two part Mm -hmm. question, the two part question is what is one thing that if you could sort of alleviate oh, from your brother, I know, but I'm going to do it. it. That you could alleviate from your brother that you think would actually be, make make 
sort of the daily life or the, his his life just feel that much better, what would that be that you could alleviate? The other thing is, is what is something that you would love to emulate? I can tell you, this is Andy talking, I would alleviate John's Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> and that would probably make his life a hundred times better. Why? Wait, why? Why? Because <laughs> it drives him insane. I mean, yeah. <laughs> is it just so negative all the time? Um, no, it's just that it's, uh, it, it consumes too much of my attention. Right. right. I should be like living more of my life. Right. Yeah. Than, than doing it. I think for Andy, I would. Oh, wait, no, you have to do the, what do you want to emulate? Oh, oh, he does both. Great. Yeah. Um, what I would emulate. Well, you know, John's a new dad and I've seen him with, uh, Charlie and I am not a dad yet, but I really would like to emulate, um, how John's been as a dad. That's nice, Andy. Um, I would alleviate some of Andy's anxieties. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we said, like we talked that neither of us are that big risk takers and don't have like daredevils or stuff like that. But I think that Andy could, I think if he was a little looser, sometimes he would maybe Mm -hmm. be a little, yeah. Uh, Molly, Molly would agree with you on that. Molly would agree with me on that for sure. <laughs> and I would emulate just how committed and driven he is. Watching him um, pursue acting over the last 10 years has just like always been a model for me of someone who is so committed, so hardworking, and just puts his head down and keeps going no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I like, I, I think that's just such a awesome, it's a, it's a tough quality. Um, to uh, to just sort of develop on your own, but he's had it innately for so long, and it's really something to admire. Good. Oh, guys, wow. cool. thank you for coming. Right. I loved this. This was thanks so for fun. Having it was us. good catching up. Yeah, us, thank guys. you guys. This was a blast. This was awesome. Really this was fun. Great. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Breslin. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. If you want to show us some love, rate the show and leave us a review. This show is powered by Simplecast. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, 
iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.